0: When we're talking interest rates, everybody loses interest. Uh, But uh, right now, there's more interest in interest rates. Once more unto the breach, dear friends.
1: Else, fill the wall up with our English
0: dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we have been known to say our names at the same time.
1: It's called synchronicity.
0: Yes. Um, it is a very dangerous activity and it involves plumbing in some way or at least sinks. Right. Right. Um, This is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we will talk about other things uh, besides bad puns. But please uh, reserve your medication for when the puns begin, because we will, at some point, have really bad puns like plumbing and synchronicity. Yes.
1: Is that a bad pun? I I I would
0: say it's quite a stretch, Um, Armstrong. See what I did with another? Yeah, it was a bad bad one. Armstrong?
1: Stretch Armstrong?
0: Yes. And if you don't well, get that, it's because you're old, older than old, because that's an old joke from my childhood when people would say that you're old to me, except you're my father. So there's an extra I'm, layer.
1: I'm old cubed.
0: Your stretch Armstrong was made out of wood, is what you're saying. Oh, yes. So you can't yes. stretch it. At that was all.
1: a toy you
0: had. Yes. 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 I remember now. Yeah. Uh, stretch Armstrong. I was
1: thinking of the the guy who rode bikes and took drugs.
0: No, that's Lance Armstrong. Different, different. So you can tell the depth of our knowledge on pop culture and uh, so on is lacking severely.
1: On a scale of one to ten, it's bad.
0: Yes, Uh, please uh, turn it down. Anyway,
1: let's talk about the market. Let's do it. Well, the S and P 500 stock index really zigzagged this week, up and down, and up and down, and up and down. Um, It was an interesting thing because it would there'd be some kind of news that the market considered bad, which generally speaking at this point in time means any good economic news is bad because they're afraid it'll make the federal reserve raise rates too high and put us into recession. So good economic news that the economy is growing healthily is bad news on wall street because it causes the market to fall and it would take a plunge and it get would get down just above 30. The S and P 500 would get down just above 3650 in its plunge. And then it was as if it, it was a cat that hit hot water and it did the scalded cat technique of jumping straight into the air, it would shoot back up again, and then there'd be some other news and it would go back down to just above 3615 and would shoot back up again. Uh, that by the way is what technical analysts of market behavior calls a resistance point, and it was a heck of a resistance point, it didn't hit there and just stop, which is the normal resistance point, it hit there and bounced hard. Um, then Friday. In the stock market, something interesting happened. Once a month, the S&P 500 options expire. Now, there's a bunch of options that expired during the week, and they had something to do with different kinds of options, like VIX options and so on. I won't go into the details of that. And they had something to do with the ups and downs in the market. But the S&P 500 options, what our options are, is the right to buy or sell a a basket of stocks, in this case the entire S&P 500, is purchased speculatively, usually with borrowed money, in advance. If the sentiment is downward, deep, deep in the traders' minds, when options expiry date hits each month, and it's been going on all year, the market would drop precipitously, seriously drop, because a lot of people had to sell stocks. Well, guess what? On Friday, options date hit, a lot of people had put in I won't go into the details here, but they had purchased options that enabled them to make money if the market fell because it was a reliable way to make money. When options expire, the market's going to fall because we're in a bear market. And instead of falling, it shot up rather seriously about four point something percent on in a single day, uh, giving us the gain for the whole week. And the people who had borrowed a lot of money betting on the market following that day probably could be seen in the bars that evening crying in their beer. crying in their martinis, as the case may be. So it was an interesting couple of weeks we've gone through here. Something fundamental has changed in market sentiment, Uh, because instead of plunging downward relentlessly at certain news, it would bounce back up so hard. Now, whether that change is permanent is anybody's guess. My personal gut feeling is we have Glimpsed the bottom. Have we seen the bottom solidly? Nobody can say that until well after the fact. But it sure looks like there's a lot of money waiting for the 3650 level to buy in. And that is, and there's not any sellers at that point, Uh, which in a bear market is over, by the way, when the last sellers sell. A bull market is over when the last buyers buy. And there were certainly good excuses this week for sellers to sell. And the ones who had borrowed money uh, to bet on that lost a lot of money this week. So they got burned pretty good. Anyway, that's that, what happened, the Mark. The yeah, 500- do
0: you mind if I throw in this right here? Just just looking at it from a technical nature. Technical is when you look at a chart and say, this chart looks like the pattern of uh, another uh, downturn and bottom event where you're looking at things like how far down it went into a trough and how far up. And there's things called a head and shoulders. It looks like we just experienced the second shoulder of this bear, which typically means that we're coming to the end of it. Doesn't always mean that. But when we yeah. look at that and we look at the other signs at the same time, it kind of looked like a bottom this last couple of weeks. It has, and doesn't mean it is, but that sure looks like it. My sense of what's going on in the economy and
1: in traders suggests a bottom, too. Anyway,
0: well, my my daughter said that I looked like a bottom the other day, so I don't know if this is a good thing for us to be saying about the the stock market. I just yeah, I got you. Well, that's a different kind of bottom, but yeah, the uh, S and P five hundred
1: closed at thirty seven fifty two point seven five. For those of you who are keeping score, it was up a four point seven four percent for the week. Uh, it's still, uh, down 21.26% this year. It's up 17.43. It's down 17.43 from where it was a year ago. Now let's put this in perspective. If you compare it with March, 2020, the last time we had a bottom and people were terrified, it is up 68%. If you compare it to three years ago, just before the pandemic, it's up 19%. Uh, mid cap value index uh, rose three point three four percent for the week to twenty one eighty eight point three six. It's down fifteen point seven four. Note here, and this is the way value not always, but historically more often than not behaves. And the 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 smaller companies, which people tend to think of smaller companies as being more volatile and going down more and more, and going up more. The smaller companies in the value index, so the mid cap value index, uh, are is down 15.74% this year, and it's down about 14% from last year. Um, and I, I get my intuition or gut sense or something after watching the market for many, many years is I kind of think we found about, and there's a reason for that. We can go into that in a minute. There's a, I think there's a reason for the market to change. Uh, Treasury securities. Now, that was interesting. The 10-year Treasury note, which is the benchmark for the whole economy, Closed out last week just over four percent. By Friday of this week, it was at four point three percent. You say, well, 03 three percent—that's that's a big jump. That is an almost ten percent jump in interest rates at the ten-year point in a week. That's pretty seriously. Well, then it it didn't it hit four point three and then it closed at four point two three, so it came back down a little bit. Um, but what was interesting is the two-year note, the, the inverted yield curve, at least according to academic studies, is the forecasting ability of the treasury yield curve and the treasury yield curve is typically in a a positive yield curve, shorter term maturing treasuries pay a lower interest rate or lower yield than longer term treasuries because you got to leave it longer. So your risk goes up. So you should get more interest. An inverted curve is when shorter term maturities are paying a higher interest than longer term maturities. And it generally indicates not always, but often indicates that there's a recession
0: coming. Just to put that in English for a second, um, I I know this is when we're talking interest rates, everybody loses interest. uh, But uh, right now there's more interest in interest rates. An inverted yield curve, when you're talking about a 30-year loan, you should have a slightly higher interest rate than a 15-year loan, which should have a higher interest rate than a 10-year loan, which should have a higher interest rate than a 5, which should have a, and so on. Because the longer you're putting your money away, say you're the one making the loan, you're saying, I'm loaning you this money for 30 years. No, I'm not going to charge you less than if I'm socking the money away for two. Well, we've had the opposite of that for a while, where the 30-year rate was a lower rate than the two-year rate. That's fixed itself this week. Uh, the The 30-year rate is now... Slightly better than the two-year rate, higher, not better. Better, well, better being on a on a scale it should be higher, right? Depends on whether you're loaning or borrowing, right? Uh, um, but the the twenty-year rate is still not good compared to the two, and so on. So we still have an inversion. It's just not as bad. An inversion means that it's harder and more expensive to get short-term loans, which is what companies use to pay new employees or to buy new equipment. And so that gets slowed way down when then there's an inversion in the yield curve. Okay, back to you, Fred, or George, or Jeff, or whatever.
1: Here's the interesting thing.
0: The two-year note for the week
1: fell from 4.66% last week to 4.49% this week. So the two-year Treasury note is falling the interest rates are falling at two years and they're rising at four years
0: which makes perfect if- sense because the Federal Reserve announced that it's probably going to raise rates again so of course rates should fall right well no that's confusing okay go ahead back back to actually you- this plays out <laughs> in, a, in a
1: very practical way other than forecasting what's going on in the economy I recently was looking at the range of RV
0: loans. Why would, RV you, loan? why would you do that? I mean, what a strange thing to do.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, I was looking at RV. I was questioning about RV loans. And it turned out that the 15-year, if I borrowed money on for a 15-year loan, which I could pay off as early as I want to, the interest rate was substantially lower than a six-year or five-year loan. Well, that's nice. So, of course, I got the 15-year loan and I fully intend to pay extra on it and pay it down. But I thought, I, I frankly have never personally seen an inverted yield curve have an effect on something so practical as a loan to buy an RV. It was just an interesting little tidbit of information. Anyway, back to the, uh, back to the market. Uh, the, fall, the, the less inverted yield curve that we saw this week is typically something that occurs around the bottom of a bear market. It's not a surefire indicator. It's one of the several indicators you have to look at if you're making prognostications. And it also suggests historically that with the yield curve losing its negative steepness, the bond market is effectively saying, well, maybe we might not have a recession and we might not it might not be very severe if we did, which is kind of what it's saying out there was the first time it's done this normally since we've been talking recession, which is this year, since the bond market has been been suggesting a recession through its inverted yield curve, the inversion has gotten more severe all year until now. And it is suddenly getting less severe. I told you something fundamental has changed out there in the, in the markets themselves. So it's kind of an interesting
0: thing to watch. And oh, I, I have an answer for that, by the way. Just just as a, um, the Federal Reserve has offered to buy a whole series of U.S. Treasuries from major banks because we're having a little bit of a liquidity crisis because mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve has been buying these big bonds for so long since the since the pandemic really hit, and then they. Uh, In the early part of this year, starting in June, they started selling them back.
1: Use the technical term for that, unwinding their spreadsheet.
0: Yes, they're unwinding their spreadsheet, (laughs) which you can do somehow. There's like a crank on the side of the computer to let you unwind the spreadsheet. Yeah, but you have to.
1: You have to turn it counterclockwise. Right. It. <laughs> if you turn it the wrong direction,
0: you could have all problems. You don't want to... tightening. Don't crank your spreadsheets the wrong way. That's, that's all we have to say. That's right. Um, it's actually
1: un- un- unwinding their balance sheet, but it's a spreadsheet, so I thought it would be funny.
0: So I know this is a, a little bit complex, so I'm going to try to generalize it and make it not so complex. The stuff that they're selling is stuff that they bought over the last several years. And the stuff that they bought over the last several years has a very low interest rate on it. And not a lot of people wanna buy that because it has such a low interest rate. So if you're going to buy a a bond, you actually would like to be paid more interest, not less interest, especially if the, the, the presiding interest rate over everything is higher at this point. So there's a reluctance to purchase and a reluctance or an inability for the big banks to sell at the same time. So if they need some cash rather than a bond, they're having trouble going to the market with it, which is causing um, interest rates to act really funny in this shorter term area. It's been causing them to go up and up. Well, this week the Federal Reserve said to the big banks, hey, we're available to buy some of your bigger products if you're feeling a liquidity crunch, which is part of their job. So just to sum that up, the Federal Reserve this week has both been selling in large quantity U.S. Treasuries and also buying in large quantities U.S. Treasuries. So if it wasn't confusing enough, um, this is the Uh, the picture of today. And it could be that that liquidity crunch goes by and and they just continue to sell and the big banks have no problem selling the bonds into the future. But it's likely that the Federal Reserve is going to have to slow down the number of bonds it's selling. When it's getting rid of all these bonds that it bought up over the last several years, it's gonna have to slow down because they're selling so fast that the market is disappearing for it. And, and for anybody else that wants to sell the same sort of thing. So that's, that's a thing that's fundamental shifting going on right now when we're seeing this yield curve shift. The, the ma- major reason why the shorter kind of midterm rates were higher is because the amount of sale going on out there uh, by the Federal Reserve, and they've got to slow it down. So that I would expect to see that yield curve become a little bit less inverted over the next week or so as they realize, hey, we can't keep making that big bulge because nobody's there to buy it anymore. And, man, it's, <laughs> there's double entendres in that sentence, so I won't, I won't anyway, go into them.
1: There's there's uh, the rest of the market.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs> West well, Texas Intermediate
1: rewind. Crude Oil, WTI. Wobbled up and down all week, and it wound up where it started, $85.90 a barrel, which is probably about where it would have been had there been no global disruptions. It was around that price before all this started uh, back in 2018, 2019. It was around the same – it's about the same price today as it was then. Uh, It is is
0: $122 more expensive a barrel than it was in June of 2020. Now, when you think about that for a second, it is $85 a barrel, and it's $122 more expensive than it was before Mm -hmm. because it was at negative $37 a barrel there for a short period of time.
1: You know, I have talked to several people who are complaining about the fact that the price of oil Well, I'll just say what they're telling me. They went up during the Biden administration. I said, well, you know, roughly six months after he took office, it was a negative $37 a barrel. And they get, no, that didn't happen. They just have a lot of trouble believing that that occurred. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, It is a, it is an unfortunate reality that uh, the price of oil has nothing really to do with actions of a sitting president, except for very, very short periods of time. Um, I, it's, it's so nice to be able to blame them though. I wish we could, yeah. I, if, if I, I, and by the way, we're not asking you not to blame Biden for this. Right. I agree. We're, we're only asking when you blame Biden to recognize the illogic of it. You're allowed to, it feels good to blame somebody. So do it, especially if you disagree with him on other fronts, just recognize the irrationality while you're doing it. That's that's all we asked for. Same oh, that's a, thing we said to want, the Democrats when Trump was in office is, you yeah, can I'm still I'm still telling them that. If, <laughs>
1: just you know, just you know, you can blame Trump for the fact that the sun was hot in the summertime or whatever you want to. Well,
0: right. The, the I don't big, think the
1: president has anything to do with that.
0: Yeah, that that was a big complaint. The Democrats complain about how global warming increased so much under the Trump administration and mm-hmm. how the pandemic occurred under the Trump administration. And we say, all right, you're allowed to blame him for that. We don't tell you not to. Please go ahead if you feel like it. Just recognize the irrationality while you do it. Same with oil and Biden. Just recognize it's irrational. You're allowed to dislike the guy. It's That's what he's there for. A big part of having any sitting president is so that we can blame them for stuff, uh, yeah. They they generally don't cause recessions. They certainly don't cause pandemics. They're really not in control of the price of oil in any short period of time. Um, so, I mean, they could make a policy shift for the entire country that could last their administration. But that's an executive order and probably gets canceled by the next person that comes along. So it's, it's just... In fact... In this case, this it's is, not the case because Biden is it, it, hes not limiting offshore drilling. He, he stopped it for three months to, to categorize what should be leased out first. Anyway, it's, it has it's nice that people are allowed to blame people. We're not telling you not to just recognize it's irrational. There. There's
1: another little bit of the market I want to drop in here.
0: Okay. Then we have lots of questions waiting for us.
1: The euro. Is around 97 cents to the dollar. Did you get that? It was a, when I last time I visited Europe, it was a dollar 40. The yen, which for years in the 90s went along very nicely at 100 to the dollar. So a Japanese yen was exactly one penny. And I just kind of got used to that when I was watching it. It hit 150 this week. It ended the week around 148. Um, This is really an interesting moment in time. In
0: many, many ways. In 2021, it was 103. Mm -hmm. So it was basically a penny to the yen. And it is now 150 or so, which is not a penny to the yen anymore. You're able to buy a lot more Japanese equipment and so on.
1: Uh, And I just got through talking to somebody, an American in Europe, and apparently the dollar makes it, Everything in there—it's like everything is on discount sale in Europe. They're over there, and they're saying everything is dirt cheap over here because because the dollar's so strong, and everybody wants dollars. By the way, yeah. (laughs) A lot of times, when I've been there at various times, you 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 try to pay in dollars, and they're not interested. Now they say, "Oh yes, we would love to have dollars." So it's just an interesting world that we live
0: in. I want to real quick before we move on to other things. Uh, we have talked about Series I bonds in the past. October 28th, of that's just uh, one week away, is the last day that you can buy a Series I bond and lock in for six months the 9.62% interest rate that's on it. Now, I've got to cover the whole thing because it's important. These are series I bonds. You can only get them from treasurydirect.gov. It's directly from the United States Treasury. Uh, Only US citizens can buy them, or legal residents. Um, So you have to set up all of that stuff. This is not something that China can come and buy, for instance. Um, If you buy this, you cannot sell it for 12 months. You can only sell it back to the US Treasury can't sell it to other people. So there's no market for it period in 12 months. You cannot get your money out. There's a limit of $10,000 per person per year unless you use more than that from a tax refund. You can have a big tax refund and wind up paying, buying 100 plus thousand more than that from Series I bonds with a tax refund. Some people are saying, I'm paying extra money to the government so that I can buy with the refund um, the I-bonds, which makes sense. Because 9.62% guaranteed by the US government, that is the the absolute best risk-free rate you can find anywhere right now. You have to be able to lock it up for 12 months. If you take it out before five years, after you've had it in there for 12 months, you'll lose three months of interest. There's a lot of things in there about how interest rates are calculated and so on. But you can lock in for six months that 9.62% interest rate, and then you'll have to move on to whatever they are listing in six months. But you have one week to get that done. It's likely that the interest rates are still going to be 7-plus percent after they announce the new one in November just because these are inflation added to a, uh, to a rate um, and the combined rate takes a fixed rate plus the inf- inflation rate, and the fixed rate is up, and the inflation rate is up, so both of those are high numbers. Uh, expect it to be lower than 9.62, but there, I've said that 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 is a you can do something today to get a really nice rate if you have too much money sitting in your bank and you have your short term needs covered. Um, taking ten thousand, or if you've got a spouse, twenty thousand, and putting them into a series I bond position at the Treasury is a really nice way to make some money. Um, okay, what else do you have? Uh, and you have something to say? Well, there's
1: there's obviously a lot of detail we could go into about the economy. Uh, the the growth of the economy is slowing down slightly. It looks like the Federal Reserve is having some success, but I want to back off and look at the big picture a little bit. Read an article. Uh, by following something from The Economist that theorized that what we're seeing in Russia right now is the end game collapse of the Russian empire, which was under Tsar Nicholas. And I think it's an amazingly accurate view of what's going on in Russia. And if you look at what happens as empires collapse, that's pretty much what's happening. Uh, there's attempts to reestablish themselves in their previous glory, Basically, a position to make Russia great again. The same, a very similar article I just read really was interesting. Chairman G has stated again and again and again, he considers to be, he considers the current government of China to be in continuity with the Kuang dynasty, which is, you've probably never heard of the Quang dynasty. It's the last one. It's the one that collapsed when the Europeans basically swept over Europe and took chunks of it and brought it into their economic interest zones and the uh, imperial government of China collapsed and went into warlordism, which they're terrified of, by the way. He stated in 2012 when he took over, one of his primary goals was to reunite China under one government and one system. They have been successful, relatively speaking, in reuniting Hong Kong with China. It's now in one government, one system. They have been unsuccessful in reuniting Taiwan with the rest of China, because Taiwan is a democratic, free enterprise country that doesn't want to be under a dictatorship. Everything he has done, he intended clearly to do that in 10 years. He didn't accomplish it, so he's going to give himself another five years to do it. That is a world reality right now. The Chinese government, the leader of China, believes that the Chinese empire is the rightful position of China. And that Taiwan belongs to China and they have literally doubled their military expenditures over the last five years, five, five plus years, controlling sources of supply, controlling technology that previously they bought from us, doing everything they could to do a very simple, single thing. They want well, actually two things. One, they want chunks of the South China Sea where there's oil so that they will no longer be dependent upon the rest of the world for oil. And two, they want to take Taiwan back. Here is something that you write down in your notebook someplace and say, this is one of those things you look back in history and why didn't they see it coming? Uh, Just like we look back in history and say, why didn't we see the Russian invasion of Ukraine coming? Um, But I'm telling you that the chairman of uh, the, the chief of naval operations, who is the head of the Navy, the military person at the top of the Navy, said an invasion of Taiwan by China in the next two years is a very real possibility, and it, their indications are that they're preparing to do so. So one of the things to kind of roll around in your head, what can you do? It's an interesting thing to talk about and speculate about, or what can you do about that? In the long term, unfortunately, things like that are good for the markets. In the short term, they're not good for the markets. So make sure you are maintaining a good cash reserve, particularly if you're going to live on your income from uh, money that you've got invested. Because in the event, if, if China, when China, and almost to the point of saying now, when China decides to invade Taiwan, the markets will tank temporarily, just as they did when Germany decided it was going to have World War II and started invading countries and Great Britain declared war on Germany. Um Interestingly enough, at that point, John Templeton, who was one of the greatest investors of the 20th century, borrowed the only money he ever borrowed in his life. He borrowed $10,000, which was a tremendous amount of money at the time. It was probably in the equivalent of $250,000 worth of buying power today. And he bought 100 shares. He told told his broker, he had a broker, to go in and buy the lowest price shares trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And the broker said, okay, I have bought 100 of the lowest price to each of the lowest price companies. I've still got some money left over. Uh, But of course, he didn't buy the bankrupt ones. He said, buy the bankrupt ones, too. And he did. And that was the beginning of his fortune. And he eventually became a billionaire. Um, Is it's going to come? High probability, folks. I hate to say it, but there's a high probability that China is going to invade Taiwan. That's pretty much what the chief of naval operations just said. And by the way, what the president has said. The president has said unambiguously three times now that if they do invade Taiwan, we will act, we will act military, militarily to defend Taiwan. Nothing more specific than that. The president didn't say that because he was crazy or off the cuff or anything else. He probably has some pretty solid intelligence. It's their intention to do so. And he, he, he dropped the idea of being unambiguous, or, or, or being ambiguous and not saying exactly what we do. This, this planned ambiguity was to keep China from doing it without actually threatening war and maintaining good trade relations with China. Time has probably passed for that. So what can you do? And I don't know that this is going to happen. I'd say the probabilities are pretty high. Make sure you have adequate reserves. Uh, make sure that you recognize that that would tip us into a recession. But if it does does tip us into a recession, it will be temporary. Why will it be temporary? Because we will spend hand over fist to build up the military, and it will be similar to the issues that happened in World War II, which ultimately turned out to be really, really good for investors. I don't want it to happen. Believe me, I don't want it to happen. I can't tell you how much I don't want it to happen. But it's one of those times in history that if you take a look at the news and you read it carefully, you realize how much it sounds like the era immediately prior to World War One or World War II. And Lord knows, I pray it doesn't happen, but it's likely
0: to. Um, right. So we are the personal wealth coach, and we have some things that we have to tell you. First off, we're bald. I know that's difficult for a lot of people, and if you wish to change the channel, you may. We also are bearded. Uh, the, we're continuing our disclosures Uh, The Personal Wealth Coach is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm giving fiduciary advice to Americans since 2007. And the principals of that firm are the hosts who have been in the investment industry business, whatever you want to call it, going back to 1982 or 1991, depending on which one you're asking.
1: No, actually... We were giving some of our clients fiduciary advice before that, even before 2007.
0: The principals were, but the personal wealth coach as ah, a registered yes, firm. Yes. You yeah. got it. You're completely yeah. correct. Right. So right, right. Uh, so this is nice little things to know. So, Before the, that, we were broke. Right. The personal wealth Broker. coach is, is, is also the name of this radio program. But we just said it was registered with the SEC and it's mm-hmm, fiduciary mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, number mm-hmm. one. Just because it's registered cool. with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC has any kind of favoritism, altruism, or any other kind of ism toward us, except maybe skepticism. Oh, um, I see, think they do. Yes, they, yes. they have a strong ism toward everyone in the skeptic side. So uh, we're not implying any kind of a favored relationship with them. They are the uh, regulators and the moderators. No, we're the moderators. They're the regulators. Some kind of a... Lincoln County war issue there. Billy the Kid's involved. It's really, no, no, sorry. Wrong point in history. I also said that it's fiduciary, but we're on the radio, so we can't do fiduciary on the radio. Why? Because it's not private, um, and that's important, and we don't know everybody that's listening. Or maybe we do. Maybe we are the only two people listening, but we can't know that for sure, so we can't give even each other fiduciary advice Uh, Except things like don't get involved in a land war in Asia, um, never uh, have a a duel with a Sicilian when death is on the line. Uh, That's another one. Um, That's good fiduciary advice. Yes. Uh, A battle of wits with a Sicilian when death is on the line. Yes. Um, Let's see. What's the other disclosure that I have here? Uh, We don't pay for this radio program. We're not paid to do the radio program. This is not paid commercial programming. Our firm buys advertisement on the station for the radio program, as does the studio, and we pay normal rates for our advertisements there. Which is to say, if there is a quid pro quo, we don't know about it. Uh, You have something about information and deeming, and what would you like to Mm. deem about
1: the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We will warranty and guarantee the inaccuracy of unsaid information.
0: Yes. Or at least incompleteness. Right. When when some, someone says, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all, we warranty that for incompleteness. Thank you. Right. Yeah, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary, personalized, customized investment advice and portfolio management to those of higher net worth. Uh, there's a local number during the during the weekend that has voicemail during the week, real live people answering. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail and we'll get back with you. Uh, the local number is?
1: 254 Nine four seven eleven eleven, Or you
0: can reach that same line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's eight hundred nine fourteen 914 plan You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com where you can Uh, read our newsletter sign up for our newsletter uh, listen to radio programs going back lots and lots of years you can go find us podcasts wherever podcasts are found you can contact us through our contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com until next hour this has been the personal wealth coach thank you very much for listening